Welcome to the VBAC Link podcast. We are a team of expert doulas trained in supporting VBAC, have had VBACs of our own, and work extensively with VBAC women and their providers. We are here to provide detailed VBAC and cesarean prevention stories and facts in a simple, consolidated format. When we were moms preparing to VBAC, it was stories and information like we will be sharing in this podcast that helped fine-tune our intuition and build confidence in our birth preparations. We hope this does the same for you. To hear more about us and to hear our individual VBAC stories, be sure to check out episodes one, two, and three. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Hi, welcome to the Big Loving Podcast. My name is John Frankham, and this is episode 15. My friend Rachel is here today to share her story with us. My mom told me that you are strong women. I know you are too. Thank you for letting me talk to you today. All right. Is that the end? That's the end. All right, everyone. That was my son, Owen, and he was so excited to talk to you guys today. He gets really sad whenever I come to my closet to record an episode. I leave them downstairs with my husband for a while. And like he said, this is episode 15. And Rachel got introduced to me by another local doula here in Utah. And Rachel has an awesome Etsy shop with birth shirts and um, birth worker shirts. I don't know, for all you doulas out there, I'm always looking for a good doula shirt. And if you are looking for one too, go to her Instagram page. It's Enlightened Labors Co., like company, C-O. And I'm going to tag that Instagram in our show notes too. So check her out because she's got some awesome ones. And mom, she makes the best shirts for VBAC. She has one that says, my body is not a lemon. And I swear... I need to order about five of those because I want to wear them every day, even though I'm done having babies. So, so she's so sweet, and I'm so glad she's here today to share her story with us. Um, but Megan, actually, I think this is our third episode in a row where we're both on the phone together. Is that right, Megan? Yes, it's so awesome. I'm loving it. I hope that it can continue. Yeah, it's so fun when we can be here together and, and both hear the story at the same time. All right, well, Rachel... Um, I, I remember when you were sharing with me, you talked about um, for your first VBAC, Rachel's had two VBACs. Her first one was in hospital, and she had some pretty scary experiences where she wasn't given um, consent and she wasn't given choices in what was happening to her. And my heart hurts to know that for not only her, but for, for everybody. Um, we're going to share some more information about conformed consent on the end, but I want Rachel to share her story first with you so that she can tell you all of the things that went on with her. Well, thank you, ladies, so much for having me on. Um, I love your podcast. The VBAC link is just mm-hmm. an amazing resource for other mamas out there that are looking to um, to have a VBAC. So my story begins back in 2014 um, when I was pregnant with my first daughter, um, Greta. So I got pregnant with my first daughter, and my husband and I were not married at the time. We had just bought a house, and we had unexpectedly found out that we were pregnant. (laughs) So it was kind of a wild ride and wild pregnancy for us. Um, I had been pretty 
I don't know, terrified of childbirth before I had gotten pregnant. Um, so the, the entire experience for me was a little wild. Um, I looked for a provider, though, halfway through my pregnancy, I had seen The Business of Being Born, um, which so many women have seen and decided they would like to go for um, a medication-free birth. Uh, and that's what I, I decided. And so my husband and I hired um, a midwife group that worked in hospital. Uh, they also had a birth center, but we were not comfortable with that at that time. Um, I was pretty scared and nervous about having a baby to begin with. So, uh, so we decided to hire midwives, though, because I was on the crunchy side. So I thought, okay, I've watched the business of being born. I've uh, hired a midwife. We're going to have a natural childbirth, right? So... Um, fast forward to birth time. Um, no one had ever told me anything about like um, we had taken the the birth classes at the hospital, but they don't really teach you um, how to cope with labor. They just kind of teach you <laughs> hospital protocol. <laughs> yes, how so, to be a good patient. <laughs> how to be a good patient is absolutely right. Um, so, <laughs> So no one had ever taught me about prodermal labor or anything like that, which for those of you who don't know, prodermal labor is um, when you're having contractions, but they're not really dilating you, and they're kind of like, like, I guess you can say practice contractions, more than Braxton Hicks, but um, they're not really uh, active labor, kind of before active labor, and that can go on for, you know, days or weeks. So I uh, ended up having some prodermal labor. It was a Saturday morning, and I woke up, and I was having a few crampy-type things. Um, And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is it, because it was my first baby, and I was super excited. And uh, I also thought I had some leaking, and I thought that perhaps that was my water breaking. So my husband and I went to the hospital, and um, I – we get there and they hook you up and they check the baby and do all of the things and check you in and ask you 7,000 questions. Um, and then they checked my dilation. And I think I was only like one or two. It was nothing to write home about. Nothing was really happening. So they sent me home and I was like, okay, great. We're going to go home and we're going to labor and then I'll be back and I'll have my baby today. And that was a uh, Saturday and I was so very wrong. So <laughs> I go home and Um, kind of went about my day. My husband and I ended up going to dinner with my parents. Then we walked around Menards and um, just kind of tried to keep ourselves busy. Went to Walmart and got new slippers for the hospital. Uh, And then we stayed home that night and um, my contractions had started becoming more regular, longer, stronger, closer together, that type of thing. And they were probably between five and seven minutes apart throughout the night. Um, but they were really painful, and I was getting them in my back, and um, I was just really uncomfortable. So the next morning at about 6 or – between 6 and 7 in the morning, um, we called the midwife again, and they said to come on in and get checked. So we did. Uh, we drove back to the hospital, and again, I was brought in, asked 7,000 questions, checked in, all that stuff, uh, and then had my dilation checked, Um And I was only three, between three and four centimeters at that point. So they were like, well, we'd like you to go home again. And at this point, I am not a happy camper. I do not want to be sent home. I want to have this baby. Um, So they sent me home. And I remember as I was walking out of the 
the OB floor uh, of the hospital. This woman walks by me with her baby who had just had her baby, you know, and she's pushing in the clear cart. And I just start sobbing. And then a nurse passes me and says, I'll see you soon. And I'm like, no, you won't. I'm never going to have this baby. You know, it's a tad emotional. (laughs) Um, And so then, you know, we left and went home and went about our day. Um, Now, I should mention in the, at this point in the story that the uh, practice that I was with, the midwifery practice, uh, you got whoever was on call. So it was a group of, I think, five or six midwives, and then you got whoever was on call. And they also partnered with um, five OBGYNs as well. So they have a birth center and the hospital. Well, on the weekend, uh, they only have one midwife on call, and they have to cover the birth center and the hospital. And they had three other women laboring at the birth center at the same time as I was laboring at the hospital or about or going to give birth at the hospital. So that meant that I did not get a midwife. I got the OB on call um, or the midwife would get there when she could get there. So at this point, I had not seen the midwife at all, either of the times that I had gone to the hospital. Um, So then we spend the day and, you know, we come home and of course I'm a cranky mess and um, I'm just, I'm not coping very well with the the contractions. They're really in my back. They're hurting. Um, They're staying consistently like five minutes apart all day. And finally around seven in the, um, in the evenings on Sunday, uh, I'm like, yeah, I'd like an epidural now. I'm done. Uh, I'm done with this, this whole thing. Let's go do that. So uh, I called the midwife and I let her know, and she's like, okay, you can come in if you want, but it doesn't sound like you're that far. Um, and I'm like, yeah, well, I'm coming in and I'm getting that epidural. Okay, thanks. So <laughs> uh, my husband and I drive back to the hospital, and again, still we'd not, not seen the midwife at all. And um, they checked me, and again, I'm like four or five centimeters. Uh, and I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, ready, I'm ready to get that epidural. So they they give me the epidural, and I specifically remember saying, like, I could do this all the time. This is great. This is no problem at all at the beginning. Um, and then throughout the night, you know, I'd been checked into the hospital at this point, and throughout the night um, I slowly started to feel, like, trapped in my own body from the epidural. It, it was a really weird feeling to not be able to move, you know, your lower half. Um, and also I developed a hot spot as well in my right hip. So that means that the epidural was not taking in, in a specific spot in my hip. So it's kind of like being stabbed in the hip, which is really, really cute. So um, also during the night, around 11 o'clock, they decided, a nurse came in and decided that they should start Pitocin. And from, you know, watching the business of being born, I, all I knew was no Pitocin. I don't want Pitocin. So I was really upset that they wanted to start Pitocin, but they kept saying, you know, you're not progressing and the baby, you know, we need to get the baby out and um, we think we just need to speed things up. Again, still no midwife. Um, well, I believe the midwife came then after they had administered the Pitocin, started the Pitocin. So I get Pitocin um, and the midwife comes in finally at some point during the night and she's like, oh my gosh, I, you know, we just had three babies over at the birth center and I'm really, really tired. So I'm going to go take a nap. 
So here I am, it's my husband and I alone in the room, and I had had the assumption that nurses or midwives would like, that I would be supported at the, the entire experience, and that was not the case, you know. They're in and out, they're doing charts, they're checking on other patients, and then your midwife's busy with other patients as well. So you're alone a lot, um, and which is kind of scary. And so she says, I'm going to go take a nap. Here's a book on labor positions. Why don't you check those out? Okay. <laughs> That's nice. Thanks for that. Um, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for that. I'm going to read awful. now, I guess. Right? So um, then, you know, I did not read the book, and we just we just kept laboring. And then the next morning, um, they had checked me, and I was nine centimeters at that point. So I had made a lot of progress, which was great. Uh, but the baby was not responding well to the Pitocin. We were having a lot of heart D cells. Um, and an hour before my midwife went off shift, she comes in and she says to me, I think we should break your water. And I didn't really know any better. And I'm like, okay. If that's, you know, she's like, you know, you're so close and let's just break your water and see if that will, you know, jumpstart things. So right, she's got the crochet hook, like, at my vagina. And she goes, I'm so tired, I can't even think straight. And then she breaks my water. Oh, my God. So I'm like, okay, thanks. So she does that. And as soon as she breaks my water, she goes off shift. And then the new midwife comes on. And within a half an hour, my baby's D cells have dropped so drastically. Mm -hmm. um, And she's just really not responding well to the Pitocin. And now she doesn't have her water and all of that. Um, So at one point... um, the new midwife says, you know, well, I did get to 10 centimeters, and I said, can I push? And she goes, well, we can try a couple of pushes. So um, I pushed twice, and the second time as I was pushing, the OBGYN on call busts through the door, and he goes, stop right now. We're taking you back for a C-section. And hmm. they, so evidently the baby was really not responding well. Mm-hmm. And he, I, all of a sudden, there's a million people in my room. I'm crying. My husband's crying. And he, he, he's a lumberjack. He does not cry. So that's pretty mm-hmm. significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they're shoving all of these papers in my face and making me sign things. I'm just, I'm shaking so hard I can't even move. I mean, I can't even, like, respond to anyone. Obviously, I'm moving because so I'm shaking so hard I can't control it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. then the OBGYN says, uh, I'm going to give you this um, medication. If it stops your contractions, we'll take you down to the OR. If it doesn't, I'm opening you right here in the <gasps> labor room. What? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So he, he administered, I don't even, to this day, I don't know what he gave me, but he administered something, and it did end up stopping my contractions, and they took me down to the OR. Um, and, my, and at that point, I'm separated from my husband, well, my fiancé at the time, and I'm in the, in the operating room by myself with the anesthesiologist and the OB and mm-hmm. the nurses um, and my midwife. And it's just such a surreal feeling because you feel like you're – I felt like I was watching my body from, like, above, and no mm-hmm. one was talking to me. Um, everyone was talking to the, each other, like, like chit-chat, like they were just, you know, around the snack table or something during a break, um, talking about their trips to Cedar Point that summer mm-hmm. and all this other stuff, and I'm sobbing uncontrollably. Um, finally, my husband's reunited with me, and it, it wasn't very a very long process, and she was out. They, you know, it was a pretty cut-and-dry 
procedure. Uh, I found it interesting, though, that it was such a panic attack while I was in the labor and delivery room. And then in the OR, it's like, oh, we're talking about, you know, Cedar Point and vacations and stuff. And I'm like, well, I thought this was an emergency, but whatever. So um, my daughter was born then. Uh, it was like 11, 21 then on that Monday. And uh, she went right to the warmer. And uh, I should also mention before, when they mentioned C-section, that little button you can push to up your anesthesia, I pushed that like 20 times. Uh, I know it only administers like every few minutes or something, but man, was I pushing that. So yeah. I'm, when I'm on the operating table, your arms are strapped down. Um, so I felt kind of like Jesus laying there, right? And then all of a sudden the medication just really got to me after she was born and they were like sewing me up. I start um, throwing up and I just remember thinking, like I'm strapped to this table, no one's paying attention to me. And I just remember thinking, well, this is how I'm going to die. I'm going to choke on my own vomit. Aww. Like this is Aww. awesome. And so I, I ended up puking, and then shortly after that, I completely passed out. Um, I know that they put her on my chest, and they took me to the room. Um, and my husband says that um, afterwards, I was completely passed out, and they kept trying to get her to latch on while I was asleep, and she wouldn't uh -huh. latch on, and she, it was just a hot mess. And finally, he's like, just get out. Get out of this room. They both need to sleep. Get out. So that was my first experience. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> So I woke up about four hours after that then. Um, I remember at one point I did wake up. At some point during that four hours, I woke up and my mom was in the room, and she's just staring at me. And I look at the baby, and I go, someone hold that baby. And my mom goes, okay, I'll hold the baby. And she, like, runs over and picks her up. She's just like, I didn't want to do it if you didn't want me to. Um, but I was so thankful that, you know, my baby did get some skin-to-skin -skin contact with my mom. Um, yeah. So that's kind of my my cesarean story, and it left me afterwards. I was very um, I was very upset, obviously, and I right away was like, uh, my OBGYN had told me when he came in afterwards. He said, you know, you would be a great uh, candidate for a VBAC, and I was like, well, yeah, I would. I'm definitely doing that. I'm never doing this again, and I'd like more children. So, yep. Next one's coming out of my vagina. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I did struggle for about six months after her birth with um, PTSD. I would have flashbacks of the birth, and I would have panic attacks. And I would feel really guilty about the way everything happened, even though, you know, how would I know? Um, I did find out later that she was posterior, um, so she was sunny side up. And I think, you know, that was probably my main problem is that she was sunny side up and then I got an epidural and I didn't move and neither did she. So she had a hard time coming out. Um, and when she did come out, her head was molded like she straight up looked like a cone head. She was very, very molded. Um, and she had been down in that birth canal for a long time. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's kind of my cesarean story. Um, then we ended up getting pregnant. Uh, so in between my, my first and my second, um, I found a podcast called the Two Labor Doula Podcast. Well, it's, it's actually called To Raise Questions and Doula Podcast. And I found out what a doula was. And I thought, man, I could have really used one of those at my birth. That's exactly what I needed. <laughs> so that's what I became. Um, I was a park ranger before that, and then I decided I was going to be a birth doula. 
So I did my training in um, spring of 2016. Um, my husband and I had gotten married that previous fall uh, in 2015, September of 2015, and we had actually um, become pregnant again, and we had had a miscarriage at 12 weeks. Uh, and that really plays into my VBAC story because I think I spent a lot of my time um, during my VBAC pregnancy just afraid of losing the baby. I wasn't even thinking about the birth at that point. I was just, I didn't want to get too attached um, to the baby. So I ended up getting pregnant then that spring of 2016. Um, So we were going to have a December baby. And I did all of the things. I did the chiropractic care from the very beginning. I obviously hired a doula um, who end up and ends up being um, what I like to call my doula wife. <laughs> I found her. She's a, another local doula, and now we back up for each other, and um, we're like doula married. So it's it's great. Um, so I hired a doula, did chiropractic care. Um, I ended up switching providers three times. Um, because I had gone back to that same midwife group, and I kept hearing from them, well, we'll let you try. We'll let you try for mm. a VBAC, but, you know, you're really small, and we just don't know if it's going to work, and we're going to – and then they would put, like, I don't know what they were putting into the computer, but they kept calculating that I had a 60% chance of success with my VBAC, and that just rubbed me the wrong way. I thought, what do you mean? You're putting my – what are you even putting into the computer, first of all? And shouldn't it be like, you know, case by case and woman by woman? And mm-hmm. I'm doing all these different things. And and I, I just got really tired of hearing, you can try. I'm like, I want someone to believe in me. So um, I ended up switching a few times and then ended up with a midwife group on another part of town who I thought was really supportive. And they were also a smaller group. And the hospital that I would be delivering at had an anesthesiologist on call 24-7, um, whereas the the one I had delivered my first daughter in um, did not have an anesthesiologist on call 24-7. So they really pushed um, an epidural with VBACs because they kept saying, well, you know, if something bad happens, we're going to have to just open you up without any anesthesia. So yeah. I ended up switching no, again, fear-mongering. <laughs> Right. So um, switched to a group that I really liked. Um, they had one backup OBGYN um, who I thought was okay. It was, a, it was a guy, and I thought, well, I'm not going to see him anyway, so whatever, it's fine. Um, so uh, ended up going into labor then with her. Uh, so I have three daughters. Um, with my second daughter um, in December, early December, and again, um, uh, my first baby, I was one week exactly overdue, uh, and I'd like to say overdue is, should not even be a term because it's just a <laughs> guest date, uh, but I was one week overdue with my first baby, and then my second baby I thought would come earlier, and she did not, uh, and she really, it's funny because she's exactly like her birth story, she teaches me patience every day (laughs) (laughs) and from the very beginning she's a little spitfire and so she was actually um I was 10 days overdue with her and at 10 days overdue you have to go in and see the OBGYN instead of the midwives at this particular group and do a non-stress test so I go in for my non-stress test and I had specifically told them like I don't want to do any kind of labor induction methods you know I just I want to let things happen naturally 
So I do the non-stress test, and I go in to see the, the OB, and he wanted to check me, which I consented to. I said, okay, you know, we can check and see if I'm dilated. So he proceeds to check me, and I could tell right away that this, he was stripping my membranes. Um, he never said anything to me about it. He never asked me if he could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just went ahead and gave me a sweep. And um, then he, you know, was finished checking me. And he just said, looked at me and said, okay, so I swept your membranes. And I was just oh. in shock. I'm just what sitting there jerk. like, exactly. Like, what a jerk. I, uh, like, I've had my red membrane swept, and that hurts. Like, it hurt. Yes. Yes. It was very rough. It, it's very forceful. It's a very forceful procedure. Um, it, it, it affects women differently. Some people say it's, it's terrible. Some people don't really mind it. Um, I didn't think it was the worst thing in the world, but I knew that this was not mm-hmm. a regular check. I knew it, and I felt very violated. Um, and my body wasn't ready. It, I wasn't ready. And it sent me into this weird labor pattern so as soon as he was done I started spotting and then I started having these kind of weird contractions and I went home and of course like I'm in shock I didn't say anything to him at that moment because I still have to have a baby with this guy now you know so I'm like okay well this is going to be an awkward um, time we're going to have here so I go home um, and that was a Friday evening and I labor, or I, uh, I started having contractions and had contractions all night, but they were really weird, sporadic. They weren't getting really, like, longer, stronger, closer together. They were just, they would be five minutes apart and then ten, and then just, just really weird. Um, so that next morning, and because I was a VBAC, they kept saying, like, you know, we want updates on what's going on. You know, we want to monitor you more closely. So I called in the morning, and I said, hey, I just want to let you guys know, like, you know, I'm still having, I'm having contractions. They're about like five to seven minutes apart, but they're nothing crazy. Like, I'm just going to stay here. And they're like, no, 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 come in. And we were 45 minutes from the hospital. So it was a little bit of a drive. And they're like, no, no, come in. We'll just check you. I'm sure we'll send you home, but let us just listen to baby quick and then we'll send you back home. So I said, okay. So I go into the hospital and um, I go to the labor and delivery floor, and I go into triage um, with my husband, and we're just kind of casual, like, you know, I'm laboring, but it's nothing crazy. And a resident is on the floor, and he's checking me in. Um, And I actually asked for the nurse to check me instead of the resident because uh, no thank you. And the nurse uh, said, oh, you're about, you know, three centimeters dilated or so. I'm like, that's great. Okay, I want to go home. Uh, and the resident took it upon himself to just check me in. So that was cute. Uh, so he decided to just go ahead and check me in. And I'm like, he's like, I think you should stay. I think you should stay. I've talked to the midwives. I think you should stay. So I'm like, okay. So we go back to our room. And my midwife came in about an hour later or so. And she's like, why are you here? I'm like, I don't know. He told me he talked to you and we're staying. And she's like, well, I wouldn't have checked you in, but you're here and we can't really check you out. So guess you're here. So that's nice. So um, they had wireless fetal monitoring, and that, that was one of the conditions of a VBAC is to have continuous fetal monitoring, which I agreed to, although I was not psyched about it. Uh, and if you've ever worn the wireless fetal monitors, they're terrible, and they're very uncomfortable. It's this uncomfortable, like, 
two big rubber bands around your belly. Um, and they can never, every time you move, a nurse is in there trying to put them back together and, and pick up baby's heart tone. So I was like up and, and trying to move and trying to get in the shower and trying to do a few things and nipple stimulation and things like that to get things going. And they kept coming back in and, and bugging me and, and putting my, you know, readjusting my straps. And at that point I had called my doula and I had said, you know, could you please come and I think I'm ready for some more support. So she came uh, and we were kind of like rocking and rolling. Um, the midwife that was on call was not my favorite. She was my least favorite of the three, um, but she wasn't terrible. But I just, I didn't feel super comfortable. Um, and I knew that my body just wasn't relaxing because I felt like she was really watching me and I didn't feel a lot of support from her. Uh, in fact, I remember at one point I finally got comfortable. The contractions were really picking up and I had finally gotten comfortable in the shower and she comes in and she's like, we're going to have to move you. And that poor woman got the death stare from hell. Like I just bore right into her soul with my eyes. But I, I'm like, fine. So I get up and uh, she had checked me then that afternoon and I was six centimeters. And she's like, okay, we're just going to leave you to labor. So she leaves after she checks me, and I'm just, like, laboring and laboring, and the contractions are getting really hard. They're starting to present in my back again. Uh, and I had, I should mention also, I had done all of the spinning babies exercises, the three sisters of balance and all of that um, before my labor had started. You know, for weeks I'd been doing that, that stuff to try and make sure I didn't have another posterior baby. Uh, but it was looking like that was the case again. Uh, my back was hurting a lot, and I just I didn't feel like baby was in a great position. Uh, so I got in the tub. I did a few other things, and I thought I was really making progress. And four hours later, my midwife came back, and I was still six centimeters. Hmm. So I hadn't, I hadn't moved at all, right? So at that point, it was a complete mental game. Um, I'd been up then, you know, for like 24 hours, and... I hadn't moved at all in four hours, and I was just done. So I, I said, I want an epidural. And my husband and my doula were both like, are you sure you really didn't want an epidural? I said, I want an epidural. So I got the epidural. And as soon as I got it, I go, oh, I didn't want this epidural. I hate this epidural. <laughs> but awesome. I will say, like, I'd, I'd ask the anesthesiologist for what they call a walking epidural, which, don't get me wrong, you are not walking during this epidural. <laughs> um, but it is a little less intense, so I could feel a lot more. I could still feel the contractions. It just kind of took, took the edge off. Um, yeah. But I could still move. I had more movement than I did with my first daughter. Um, with that, I like I, they could have sawed off my leg, and I would have no idea. With this one, I could, I could still move around quite a bit, which was really nice. Um, so I spent that whole night. I ended up getting some sleep, which was really great because I was so tired. Um, I got some sleep throughout the night. And then that next morning, uh, the midwife comes in, the new uh, new midwife on call. And she checked me and she's like, you are 10 centimeters. And I'm like, hallelujah. That's so great. Um, we can start pushing. So we start pushing and baby's not responding well. Uh, the heart tones are not great. And I ended up pushing, I think in total, it was like three or three and a half hours. Um, so the first two hours, 
just really bad readings with her on the heart tones and the OBGYN came on. The same guy that had stripped my membranes before was now here he is in my final hours, right? And so he comes in and he's like, you know, I really, I, I will say this about him. He's like, I really do not want to give you another cesarean. He's like, but Rachel, you know, this baby's not responding well to your contractions. Every time you push, her heart tones are going way down. Um, he's like, we're going to give you an hour and you've got to get that baby down. Because the problem was she was still really high. Um, she was really high in my pelvis. So I was dilated, but she was not descending. Um, and he's like, I cannot, at this point, I can't get a vacuum up there. I can't get, I can't get anything to assist you. So I need you to push her down. So I'm like, okay, fine. Flip me on my hands and knees. And cause I, at this point, you know, of course I was pushing my back cause I had an epidural and everyone's like, uh, I don't think that's a great idea because you have an epidural. And um, the rage of a thousand fires came out of my mouth. And I said, you flip me over and I'm pushing on my hands and knees. So I did. <laughs> and I pushed on my hands and knees for an hour like it was my job. I was, I was so determined to get that baby down. And the, he came back an hour later and he goes, I think I can get a vacuum on your baby if you want to try a vacuum assistance. And I said, if it's that or a C-section, you put that sucker on there right now. Let's do it. <laughs> so he did. <laughs> he did. And um, I, th- I want to say I pushed maybe like six or seven times with the vacuum on, maybe. Um, he would just hold her. So I would push her down, and he would hold on to her. He didn't, like, yank her out, which I was mm. very, very grateful for. Um, being a doula, I've seen, I've seen it go a little differently sometimes, and he was very <laughs> gentle with, with her, which I was – very much appreciative. And then she came out and um, he had said right before she, she was crowning, he said, Rachel, you know, I may have to give you an episiotomy. How do you feel about that? And I said, at that point, my mind was gone. And I said, just do whatever. Let's just whatever. I don't care. Um, And he did not end up giving me a episiotomy. So I'll give him a couple marks for some good things, but also like, dude, you need to tell people before you sweep their membranes. So she was born, um, and I was very, I had these mixed emotions, like, well, that was not at all how I pictured it. It's not at all how I wanted my VBAC to go, but at least she came out of my vagina was kind of my feelings. But as as time wore on, I thought, man, it could have gone so much better, you know. Yeah. I, I wish it would have gone a little better. Um, fast forward. So after I, I'd had my daughter in 2016, um, it was December of 2016 when I had her, um, then <laughs> I started really working as a doula a lot. Um, so when my, my second daughter was six months old, I had a series of, I think it was three births in two weeks, in, sometime in June, end of June. And evidently I threw an egg at that point. So <laughs> we got pregnant with our third baby. Um, uh, last, yeah, last uh, summer. And so my, my second was only six months old, and so we were not expecting to get uh, pregnant so fast. Um, but, hey, we kind of ran with it. Uh, and I knew this time I wanted a home birth. I didn't want anything to do with the hospital. I did not want to be there. I, it made me feel really anxious. I just, I just wanted to be at home. So I found... Um, 
two midwives that just are just so, so amazing. My, I can't even explain to you guys like the difference night and day between prenatal care with them, with the home birth midwives. They would spend an hour with me at each appointment just chatting about like how I was feeling emotionally, physically, going over my diet in detail, like just being so supportive. It felt more like, uh, like friendship than it did, you know, a, a clinical relationship. Um, and of course, I had known them from being in the birth community as well, but it just felt so different. You know, it, they have like a, a home that you go to that is where all your appointments are, so it's very cozy. Uh, and I just felt really supported. And I knew that with my second baby, I had focused so much on the VBAC and there was so much writing on it that this time I just wanted to enjoy my pregnancy and enjoy it and just not, I didn't want to have to fight for it so hard. And uh, so I ended up having a, a really good pregnancy. Uh, I still did chiropractic care, but I wasn't obsessing over every little thing. Um, and by the time we got to the end, uh, I had really come to terms with, like, if we have her at home, my third baby was a girl again, uh, if we have her at home, that's amazing. If we don't, that's okay, too. Like, if we have to transfer, we have to transfer. I'm just going to, like, let whatever's supposed to happen happen. So we get to the end of the pregnancy, and I'm 40 weeks, and I'm thinking to myself, third baby, this one's definitely going to come on time. Wrong. Even later. So one week passes, 10 days pass, and now we're gearing up on two weeks, and I am just kind of out of my mind at this point because if you've ever gone to 42 weeks, you know that it is such a mental challenge thinking that at any moment this could be it. Um, I had had a ton of Braxton Hicks, too. The, whole, the entire third trimester, I had a ton of Braxton Hicks. I think my uterus was just tired and like, what are you doing? Why are you having all of these children? <laughs> so I'd had a lot of Braxton Hicks uh, working up to that. And uh, the day that labor ended up happening, um, that morning, my husband and I dropped our children off. I, I was having some contractions, um, and we decided, you know what, we're just going to drop the kids off with Grandma, and we're going to go to the zoo together and walk around the zoo and see if we can walk this baby out. Um, I was having contractions, but nothing to, like, write home about. I kept telling my doula and my midwife, I'm like, I don't think it's going to be today. Like, they're, like, 10 minutes apart, then 7, then 5. Like, it's just prodermal labor type stuff. Um, and I, I should also mention that I did not have any checks at all. The entire um, pregnancy, I, I chose not to have any checks. In fact, my midwife didn't even see my vagina until the baby was coming out of it. So <laughs> um, just so women know, that is an option. You don't have to have um, cervical checks at like 37 weeks. That's, that's ridiculous because the numbers can change so quickly and, and so mm -hmm. um, dramatically. So I had chosen no checks. Um, and I was really happy about that. And so I had had no checks at that point. And uh, we, so we walk around the zoo, and I kept joking about how funny it would be if we had a baby at the zoo. Like, oh, gosh, that would be so weird, like whatever. Um, and I had a couple contractions there. And I'm like, okay, this isn't working. Let's just go home. I was, I was very, very cranky at this point, which should have also been a sign. Uh, but I was really cranky. I'm like, well, let's just go home. This isn't working. Um, but we went, we went and got lunch first. And let me give you a word of advice. Do not eat a buffet if you think labor might happen, even within, like, the next couple days. 
because I went to the uh, local brewery and ate like quesadillas and hamburgers and fries and deep fried everything. Everything I tell my clients not to eat, I ate. <laughs> that was a great idea. <laughs> so um, we went home you after lunch really and yourself. like you just you can't do it yourself. I've learned that the hard way. I know. I am, I am my true. own worst client. I am so yes. my own worst client. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Oh. Yes. Because so, uh, I always tell my clients, like, fruit and water and some protein, you know. No, yes. not deep-fried Oreos. <laughs> so um, we get home, and before we went to go pick up the kids again, um, I made, you know, I, I have the Etsy shop, and I, I made um, – our daughter, a little onesie, we had decided on her name. Her name was going to be Agnes. So, And that was like we had just decided that day. So I made her a onesie um, with her name on it. And then we went to my parents' house to pick up our other two daughters. Um, and while there, we like walked. They live on a farm, and we walked all around the farm. And, again, I was having contractions, but nothing crazy. Um, and we, we ended up eating dinner there. And I said, at one point during dinner, I just go, I need to go home. I need to go home right now. And they're all like, okay, crazy pants, calm down. And I'm like, nope, I just feel really weird here. I, need, I just want to go home. So we took the kids, which was the uh, biggest mistake of the entire event. We took the kids home with us. And we should have definitely left them there at Graham and Grandpa's. But I was sure that nothing was going to happen that night. So I go home, and um, we put the kids to bed. And I text my, my midwife and my doula at, like, 11 o'clock. And I said, you know, I'm just going to go to bed. Nothing's happening. I said, I'm having some contractions, but nothing crazy. I said, everybody go to sleep. Get good sleep. Maybe tomorrow. So I go to bed, and I'm listening to my hypnobirthing track in bed. It's so funny because um, – the whole essence of the track was, I am calm, I am centered, I am in control. And I had listened to it for weeks and weeks, and I just kept repeating, like, I am calm. And I had, like, candles lit, and my birth affirmation flags were up, and I wanted everything to be just beautiful. And um, I should also mention we had nothing ready for the home birth because, again, I was convinced this was not happening. So there was no tub blown up because I have small children and I have two cats, so I didn't want it being popped. So we're like, oh, we'll have plenty of time for the birth tub because my labors take like two days normally. So nothing was ready, and I'm laying in bed. Well, actually, I, I lie. We did put the plastic sheet on the bed. Thank you, Jesus. So I'm laying in bed, and at this point it's about 1 in the morning. I'm listening to my hypnobirthing track and trying to drift off to sleep, and my water broke. And I, that had never happened to me before. I had never had my water break before um, labor began. So I jump up, and both of our children were sleeping. And we have a fairly small, loud house. Like, there's no carpet in our house, really. So um, if anybody moves, you can hear it. So I jump up, and I yell at my husband, uh, Boomer, which is my husband's name, my water broke. And he was in the living room playing video games. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. So he comes running towards me, and I just had this feeling wash over me like things are going to happen really fast. Like I just, I just knew it. So all of a sudden I start like just spewing out all of these instructions at him, trying to like tell him things before the first contraction hits. And I'm like, Boomer, okay, you need to get the tub up, and you need to get the kids around. You need to call the midwife and my mom and come get the kids. And then my first contraction hit. And it was like being hit by a Mack truck. 
and I was not calm, centered, or in control at that point. I start just <laughs> yelling um, and uh, screaming profanities. So that was great and woke up both of my children. So my poor husband, I'm on the bed just like I can't move because the contractions are coming so hard and so fast. And my husband goes in to get the baby that's crying. The She's now 18 months, the 18-month-old who's crying. She had pooped her pants, okay? So Aww. the toddler, the three-year-old comes down the stairs. She's crying because I'm screaming. And then the, the 18-month-old poops her pants. So he, they're trying to clean up poop. Nobody has, like, called the midwives or anything yet because we're dealing with children crying and screaming. So I get out my phone in between waves, and I, like, text, which, again, I tell all my clients to call me, not text. But I texted my birth team, who were all in a group text, and said, water broke. And I see their text messages coming back, and they say, oh, that's great, get some rest, lay down, wonderful, call us if you need us. And I text back, please come now. And everybody's like, oh, okay. And, they, <laughs> and at that point, I lost my phone. It was gone to the wind. And I somehow crawled to the bathroom to try and get into the tub because I kept screaming at my husband that I wanted the birth tub blown up. Um, and so he was trying to blow up the birth tub. I'm in like our regular teeny porcelain tub trying to get some kind of water on my body. And my children are in the living room crying and holding each other because <laughs> they don't know what's going on. And I'm screaming profanity still. And so then he puts on Trolls, the movie Trolls, to try and, um, you know, drown out my yells. And so all I can hear is Poppy screaming, get back up again, you know, from the other room. And I'm like, turn off the Trolls. I was so mad. Um <laughs> At some point, he had called my mom to come get them, thank goodness. So she arrives, and my mom, like, had two babies in the hospital. She was not super excited about my home birth in the first place. And she comes in, and I just kept screaming, I want drugs, I want drugs, at her. And she's like, okay, okay, do you want me to call the ambulance? And I thought to myself, like, no one's coming. Nobody, they all told me to go to bed. Like, they're probably all sleeping. Maybe I want an ambulance. I don't know. <laughs> And so my mom's, like, panicked, you know, and my, my husband's trying to get the kids in her car and blow up the birth tub, and it's just a noisy mess. And then, like, uh, heaven, like an angel from heaven, my doula swoops into the house, my doula wife, and she comes in. <laughs> Love that so much. And I, I will never forget this. She comes in, and she always wears patchouli oil, and she just holds me into my bathroom, and I just, like, started smelling her. And I go, you smell so good. She's like, okay, I think you're pretty far along. <laughs> um, and, and things kind of, like, my mom could see the calm in me at that point. So she's like, okay, I think you're okay. I'm not going to call the ambulance. I'm going to take your kids home. And my husband's still messing with the birth tub in the dining room, which is not even close. Like, that's oh, not husband. happening. Right? Like, poor guy. He just, like, needed something to do, right? So my doula then, like, looks at him and goes, uh, in a very, like, calm voice, she's like, uh, Boomer, I don't think you're going to have time for that. Can you please come into the bathroom and hold your wife's head? I'm going to, I'm just going to kind of take a little peek. And she, like, starts washing her hands because it was it was that close. Like, I felt like I was needing to, like, push at this point. And she's like, Rachel, you're really, you, something's really happening here. 
And I'm like, you might have to part. You might have to catch my baby. It's fine. Just catch my baby. <laughs> and this is all crazy, you guys. Like, this is – so my water broke at 1, and, and my doula arrived at 2 o'clock. So this was an hour later. Oh. Um, and we went from nothing to, wow. like, holy crap. Um, and then my midwives came in probably around like quarter after two or so. Um, they finally arrived and <clears throat> my midwife comes in and I said, I had said I didn't want any checks, but everything was happening so fast. I'm like, can you please, please check me? Like, I need to know what's happening. Like, if I'm only two centimeters, I am dying and I cannot do this. So she like barely puts her hands inside of me and she goes, oh, okay, so that's the head. And you're 10 centimeters, and you can go ahead and do whatever you want, sweetie. <laughs> like, okay, great. So with the next contraction, I just let my whole body go, and it just started pushing. Like, I couldn't control it. She's just like, my midwife's like, those are great pushes. I'm like, that's great, because I'm not doing anything. Uh, I have no control over this. Um, so I was on hands and knees in the bathroom, and at some point – we were like, can we, you know, they're like, do you want to go to the bed? Because, you you know, you're getting pretty tired. You know, my arms are getting really tired. So we ended up moving to the bed. Um, I pushed on my side a few times, and that hurt. I did not like that at all. So I ended up pushing on hands and knees and my side, and I just couldn't get comfortable, and I was so tired because it was happening so fast. Um, and I finally ended up, my midwife's like, do you want to lay down on your back for a few pushes? And all of a sudden I'm like, yes, that's, that's exactly what I want, which is so funny because I never thought that's what I would want at all. Like, especially like as a doula and stuff, you know, you want gravity and you want to be upright. And I was like, no, I want to lay down. (laughs) I want to lay down right now. So, um, I got on my back and started pushing and all of a sudden she just started coming down and, um, before I knew it, there she was. She was crowning, and um, I, as she was crowning, my midwife's like, uh, you know, okay, just gentle little pushes now, and she was supporting my perineum, and I'm like, she's like, these are great little pushes, and again, I'm like, I don't have any control of this, and she's like, okay, well, you're doing great. Your body's doing great. Um, my, I should also mention my husband asked me four times during pushing uh, if I wanted my music playlist on, which I had said was so important to me prenatally. I'm like, make sure there's music. And he kept saying, do you want me to turn on the music? And I kept screaming, shut the F up at him. So that was really nice. My bad. In my brain, I was saying, yes, please put on Pandora Lumineers station. But my mouth said, shut the F up. So (laughs) sorry, honey. (laughs) I couldn't really control my mind at that point. So oh, crowning, um, ring of fire, and and she just kind of, she came out, I birthed her head, and I remember birthing her head and thinking, well, with my second baby, uh, with the V-back, with the um, vacuum, she just kind of like flopped out, right, uh, as soon as her head crowned, and with this baby, the head came out, and I'm like, okay, why does it feel like there's more baby in there, what's happening, uh, and it was probably like a good, I don't know, minute or so um, before I, another contraction came and I was able to birth her shoulders. Uh, and then after I birthed her shoulders, she she came out. So um, it was just, it was amazing. She came right to my chest then. And I had never had that before with my vacuum baby. They'd taken her right to the warmer and they'd actually had to do some resuscitation on her. Um, so I had never had had that chance to have immediate skin to skin. And it was just so raw. 
uh, and just amazing. She just came right to me, and she just stayed there for, like, I don't know, an hour or so. We just hung out. She pooped all over me. Of course she did. <laughs> just meconium poops everywhere, um, or, you know, that tar, tar poop. And um, we just sat there, and I just kept saying, like, I did it, I did it. Like, my body did it all by itself. Like, I was just amazed. Um, and start to finish, it was – so my water broke at 1 in the morning, and she was born at 3.53. Oh, my gosh. So precipitous labor. Uh, Yeah, just a little. (laughs) Yeah, precipitous home birth after two, like, crazy long labors. I was blessed with this, you know, very, very fast labor, which as as you talk to women that have precipitous labors, like, it's a blessing and a curse because it also kind of, like, knocks the wind out of you. It was – a lot to take in very, very fast, and mm-hmm. it was it was really crazy, but um, it was amazing, and and yeah, so that was Agnes's Agnes's birth story. I didn't; she was um, nine pounds even. So my first two babies, the first one was seven one. My V back baby was um, seven six, and then Agnes was nine pounds even, nice. and no tearing. Mm-hmm. Good. No tearing at wow, all. that's yeah. awesome. It was oh my amazing. Gosh. I had like a tiny little cosmetic tear. Um, I had torn really terribly with my, my first VBAC in hospital with the vacuum. Um, I had a second degree tear and um, had a lot of complications from that afterwards. And then after this birth, like, it just kind of healed that pathway. So that's great. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. But that's my story. Oh my that is, there are so many things I want to say right now. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, yeah. first of all, like, somebody could write a birth about, like, things you should know about VBAC just based on your story. Like, there, I don't know what fact I want to share right now. Like, <laughs> there's so many to pull from. Um, it's really cool. But before I actually um, share the one I think I'm going to share, um, seriously, can I just say how much I love you right now? <laughs> Oh. Sometimes we like text each other if like we hear weird sounds or something like that, and and I'm just texting Megan through your story, and I'm like, um, can she just be my doula? Like nothing has made me ever want to have any more kids, except for I just want oh. you to be my doula. Like I know, you're, I would so, love to. you're so awesome. Can, except I'm can I? I'll fly to Utah, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like there's no hope for us. If there was, you would be it. I would fly you out in a heartbeat. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that Thank was such you. a fun story. Oh, my gosh. I just, I loved it. I, you're such a good storyteller, and I, I oh, bet everybody you. is laughing right along with your story, too, at the end. Awesome. I'm sure. <laughs> the, that last one was crazy. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. I know. I love it, though. Like, it's so funny how every birth is different. Like, even, I mean, like, your locations were different, and your method of delivery was different, but, like, how you labored was different and how fast yeah. you came. My, my fourth baby was my longest too. And I had prodromal labor for a month and it was just awful. Oh, <laughs> I was like, come on. Girl, solidarity. <laughs> I feel you there. It's the worst. <laughs> but, all right. Well, I'm going to wrap this up, but I'm going to share some information about informed consent. Um, I really okay. think that if anybody, if anybody wants to know how crappy maternity care has gone in the United States all they need to do is listen to our podcast I mean am I right yeah like any absolutely c-section stories and even some of the VBAC stories like it's just incredible how awful women are treated sometimes and I am gonna throw down in our show comments some um 
a code of medical ethics option 2.1.1 from the AMA, that's the American Medical Association. So this is what talks about informed consent. This is what like the code is for informed consent for all doctors, not just obese. And I'm just, I'm like I said, I'm going to drop a link um, to our blog, utahvbacklink.com slash blog. I'm just going to have a link directly to this article, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the blog too. Um, but I just want to highlight a couple of things that I just don't really see happening in the birth world very much. So this is what it says. It talks about um, the process of informed consent occurs when communication between a patient and physician results in the patient's authorization or agreement to undergo a specific medical intervention. And then it goes on um, and it talks about how the patient needs to be able to have the decision-making capabilities based on the information the doctor is providing. So it says physicians should assess the patient's ability to understand relevant medical information and the implications of treatments to make an independent voluntary decision, present relevant, relevant information accurately and sensitively. Okay, let's just say that again. They need to present relevant information accurately and sensitively in keeping with the patient's preferences for receiving medical information. They should include information about the diagnosis, the nature and purpose of recommendation interventions, the burdens and benefits, risks of all options, including foregoing treatment. We have an acronym for that um, called BRAIN, B-R-A-I-N, like use your brain, for benefits, risks, alternatives, Oh, shoot. <laughs> intuition. <laughs> intuition. Sorry, intuition. Like, what did your intuition tell you? We were talking about that. Um, and and yes. what if we do nothing? Holy cow, like I spaced out. But, like, they, they need to tell you all the benefits, the risks, the information. And not only that, but what happens if you do nothing? And then not only that, what is your intuition telling you? And I love in Rachel's story how she said it was so weird that I just wanted to lay on my back because... In my other birth, being on my back is what I didn't want to do. But you know what? Something in her intuition was telling her that that's how the baby needs to come out. And she listened, mm -hmm. and she did it, and it was beautiful. Um, and then the third guideline, they not guideline, code, the third note in the code says that they need to document the informed consent conversation and the patient's decision in the medical record in some manner. Um, and... It's interesting because, like, the only thing I see here that is uh, done consistently in our birth world is the documentation of the consent that wasn't properly explained. And I know I'm probably sounding a little, like, anti-doctor or something right now, and I'm not anti-doctor at all, but what I am anti is not giving women appropriate and accurate information and using scare tactics to get them to make decisions. And... So like I said, check the show notes, check our Utah VBAC link blog um, for more information there because I think that knowledge is power and the more information you have, the better you'll be prepared to make that birth go the way you want to. Rachel, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It was such a pleasure to sit in my closet, in my bedroom and listen to you tell your story. <laughs> Oh, thank you, ladies. I really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing and just sharing all this information um, with all the women around the world. It's just it's such a great resource, and it's so very needed. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> 
We are always looking for more inspiring stories. To share your story or possibly be on one of our podcasts, post on social media with the hashtag YWeVBAC and tag at the VBAC link or contact us from our website. Be sure to rate us and share and leave your reviews. We are excited to hear what you think. For families local to Utah, be sure to check out our website, utahvbacklink.com, for more information on our VBAC childbirth classes and doula services. Thank you so much for listening. We are excited for you to begin your journey with us.